Amen. Well, we're going to start worshiping here. So we want to say, Lord, be lifted up. Be lifted higher. Lord, we want to lift you up today. We want to lift you up, Lord. We want to say that there is no other name in heaven and earth by which men may be saved. That salvation comes in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus alone. And so we declare the name of Jesus. We declare the name of Jesus over this house. We declare the name of Jesus into every life. And we say, in the name of Jesus, let the gates of hell be confused. In the name of Jesus, let's just press into this a little bit more. Almost see like dogs that follow you, that packs of dogs, like the spirits that try to harass our lives. And we're stepping into a realm right now to stamp our foot and say, get out of here. You dogs that bite at our heels with sickness and fear and confusion and worry and depression. In the name of Jesus, scatter. But we have to do that for our own lives. I am getting a very, very clear revelation that this is a morning when God wants to break off the influence of familiar spirits off of families. I, I keep seeing this thing of these, these personalities, these demonic spirits that attach themselves to family lines and, and kids when they're young, when they're two and three years old, a spirit begins to whisper in your ear, begins to talk to you. And that voice is familiar. And it's like a manipulative person. It comes to tell you what you want to hear. It consoles you with your fears. It comes alongside you. It says things like, yeah, nobody understands you. You are the one that's right, but everybody's against you, and it's not right. And, and that spirit gains your acceptance at an early age because it whispers what you want to hear. It sides with you against your parents. It sides with you against authorities. It sides with your, your pain and your unforgiveness. It reinforces your judgments. And you get so you like that voice. It's a familiar voice. It's a warm voice. And you accept the wisdom of that voice. But it's a spirit. It's a spirit. And God is saying, there is grace today. There is grace today. There is grace today to break free from familiar spirits. So, Lord, we say in the name of Jesus, today in the Spirit, draw a line, a clear line of division between the Spirit of truth and familiar spirits that have come to our lives to steal away our freedom, to bring us into captivity of paranoia and fear that manipulate even the chemical balances in our brains and in our bodies. I say in the name of Jesus, we take a stand against every spirit of mental illness, against every spirit of schizophrenia, against every spirit of depression, against every spirit of paranoia and fear. Let's all do this. 
Lord, in the name of Jesus, I don't want any voice except the voice of the Holy Spirit in my life. I don't want any voices. I don't want any voice except the voice of truth. I distance myself right now. I distance myself right now from every false, consoling, familiar spirit. In the name of Jesus, I will not be led to the slaughter willingly. I will not be led into servitude. I will not be led by that which would destroy me. Lord, be lifted up. 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 Holy Spirit, come. 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 Holy Spirit. We want nothing except the wisdom, the truth of the Holy Spirit. Come. Yes, be lifted up. Be lifted up, Jesus. Be lifted up. Keep singing it. Keep singing it. Be lifted up. The Holy Spirit wants to set people free today from familiar spirits, from spirits that come and whisper to you words that infuse self-pity. This is a day to drive those spirits off, to say no to those voices. I'm telling you, this is a turnaround morning. There's, this is a turnaround morning to cut find, to cut the cut the cords generational iniquity generational insanity generational mental illness Lord we want to be free we want to be free we want to be free I believe that there are perpetual problems in our lives some of us have been Christians for 20 30 years. And there's areas where we haven't shaken off a kind of thinking. And that is that thinking comes from a spirit that we have agreed with. And we think that thinking is ours. That voice is so familiar. It's like our own thoughts. And the Holy Spirit is saying, today, right today, I'm going to make a distinction between that way of thinking, that voice that speaks to you, and I'm going to say, this is the voice of fear. This is not the voice of wisdom and caution. We have mistaken the voice of wisdom and caution for the voice of fear. We have retreated into self-preservation in our families. We have adopted policies. We have adopted family traditions. We have adopted ways of thinking that are contrary to courage, contrary to faith, contrary to hope. And we retreated into these false places of safety. And they are guarded by a spirit that keeps us blind and dumb. If you can cry out to God, cry out to God with all your strength. If you have the ability to release your heart in crying out to God. And there's even a stubbornness that comes into some of our lives where, well, I've asked God for freedom. I've asked God for this, and I've asked God for that, and I've asked God for that. And you're, there's a disillusionment 
that has come into your life, well, because I've asked and God hasn't answered. Therefore, I don't want to ask again because I don't want hope deferred. But the truth is, you've asked for deliverance. But as soon as God has begun to bring you that spirit of truth, you've actually let your mind slip back into agreement with a familiar spirit. And you go back into agreement with that spirit. And what you go back to is you go back to the bondage that God began to set you free from. And you keep saying, well, God hasn't set me free. But it's you that did that. You keep going back to a way of thinking. God, God, make it clear to us this morning. Make it clear. Let a deliverance, a breakthrough come to our lives. We declare in the name of Jesus Christ, we will have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Uh, God, release our minds. Release our minds. Release our minds. Lord, show us the way we've entered into these thoughts. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God is at work right now. I have a scripture written down that I'm ready to share from. It's in Numbers 16. I told nobody about this. I told nobody about this. And uh, Jackie just came up with Numbers 16 with a passage from there. And I want her to read it. I'm telling you, this is a day when God is saying, listen, I want to set your family free. I want to set your minds free. I want to separate you from spirits, familiar spirits. You, these things are so ingrained with their thoughts, their words. They whisper to you, and you. I, I, it is so clear to me. God, it's like the tentacles of cancer in the brain. How, that's, how the voices of those spirits work their way, and you just yield to them. You just yield to them. You just yield to them. I'm telling you, our lives... We are meant to walk in freedom. And the bondage that we have, the things we're trying to break through, we're just, we're, we're waiting for God to do this. God is saying, separate yourself from this evil. Separate yourself. And the Lord said to Moses, get away from among the congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces. And Moses said to Aaron, take a censer and put a fire in it from off the altar and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Just to make clear that these things are not coming from the Lord. These things are not coming from the Lord. We have an enemy who seeks to devour and kill and destroy. And so Aaron took the burning censer as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the congregation and behold the plague that was begun among the people and he put on this uh, on this in- incense and made atonement for the people and as he stood between the dead and the living and the plague was stopped it was stayed and i just thank you lord in the new covenant jesus has made atonement for us he is our atonement and we can say this plague this calamity this sickness stops here in Jesus' name, as we stand in Christ Jesus, the blood of Jesus that has cleansed us from all sin, has made atonement for us. He is our great high priest. 
He is the mediator between God and man. And we thank you, Lord, that as we stand in you, Lord, in faith, these things are stopped off our lives. These things are stayed, pushed back in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. You know, God is trying to separate us from something. And I know this is a, there's something in our culture today. And Chris was just talking about how much cutting is going on in the younger generation. Do you know that cutting that's going on is a manifestation of, of a spirit in our lives. You know, it talks about that one, uh, the demoniac of Gennesaret. He ran around naked and would cut himself with stones. I remember as a young teenager being in depression and self-pity and that spirit coming to me and, and actually beginning to tell me. And I almost started doing that, but I just, it just made no sense to me. I, I, I remember all the feelings, all of the, all of the feelings related to doing self-harm. And, and I just, but it just didn't make sense. So I didn't do it, but I, I remember the compulsion I remember the feeling. I remember, and it was self-pity. And it was this, I could see it now, the spirit leaning over. You know, nobody, nobody loves you. If you do this, then they'll really know that you're serious. If you, if you do this, you know, the, the, you know then, then you'll, then you'll, anyway, I, it was, it was, it's evil. It's wicked. And I, I was able to step away from it, but I know many are not able to. Because I had a reasonable family environment when I grew up. Despite all the dysfunction, it was, it was reasonable. But there, there, there is a breaking today. And when that, I'm going to go back later on into number 16. But uh, this is the re- result of rebellion. It's right after Korah's rebellion. And the people sided with evil. They were accustomed to siding with evil. But the Spirit of God is saying, listen, I want to separate you. I want to walk through the middle of your life with an incense. And I want, to, I want to separate you from these things. So right now, right where you are, let's just, let's just begin to say, let's begin to name those things. That voice that provokes self-pity in me, that accuses others, that stirs up contention, that makes me feel alone and lonely, like I'm the only one. Why is it just me? When's my turn? When, when are people going to notice me? How come I don't get da-da-da-da-da-da? You know, and on and on and on it goes. And on and on and on it goes. Father, in the name of Jesus, I cannot emphasize, I cannot overemphasize how critical this moment is for some of you. God, separate me from this thinking. 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 Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of deliverance. Today is the day for freedom. Today is the day. Some of you need to speak that out. Today is the day. But you, it's like your mind doesn't want to believe it. No, no, no. I've said those things so many times. No, say it. Today is a day. Today is a day. Today is a day. Now, if you want to be set free from something, I want you to come up to the front. If you, if some of this, you identify with some of this, these deep ruts of thought, these deep ruts of thought, 
Uh, I wonder if somebody could get some oil. We're going to anoint people with oil. We're going to pray for people. This is the day that the iniquity, the iniquity of generational thinking that is wrong. We're going to put a, we're going to put a, a flag in the ground. We're going to mark the ground here today in our lives. What we're asking God for, let's be clear, is a, is a line of demarcation between a kind of thinking that brings us into slavery and a kind of thinking that sets us free. God has been trying for months and months to separate you from a line of thinking, a way of thinking. But it's that, that way of thinking is so normal to you, so normal, you just don't ever even think to question it. God, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. And what that means is this, is if you're not free, there's a lie. If you're not free, there's a lie. Behind every chain is a lie. Behind every bondage is a lie. There's a lie. The truth will set you free. When you're not free, there's a lie. Yes, Lord, in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name. Just continue to stay in that place of faith. We want to see the Holy Spirit continue to minister. But you know, there's a scripture in the New Testament, and it says, it talks about Satan taking people captive at his will. At his will. How does he do that? How does he have such free reign if we are free moral agents? Because we give it. Because we give that place. That's why the Bible says, give no place to the devil. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, illuminate in our lives all the ways, all the places that we give room, that we, we side with. Oh, God, we pray in the name of Jesus. Have you ever believed you were right about something <laughs> and discovered you were wrong? I think it was Watchman Nee that wrote, he was talking about the, how ridiculous it is to trust in the mind. He said that with the same mind that we, deduct, you know, we evaluated information, we made a decision, only to later discover that that decision, that information, that process was wrong, that we go back and again and again and again give credence to that same process 100%, never questioning. I remember a couple of years ago, I was with somebody I know, somebody you guys know, we were playing tennis, and uh, I, I said, oh, we need to do this now, because this, he said, oh, no, no, that's not how you do that. I said, oh, yeah, it is, in real tennis. <laughs> he said, "He said, no, it's not. I said, yeah, no, it is. I, anyway, 
He's a good friend of mine, so sometimes I notice when he gets stubborn. Sometimes I get stubborn, but I, I, I notice the panel when he gets thunder, stubborn. So I thought, well, I'll put a halt to it right now. I said, I'll, I'll bet you. 20 bucks. And uh, he said, absolutely. <laughs> so he bet me. Let's stop the argument. And then we went to the Internet. Sure enough. I mean, I'm not sure enough. I'm not always right, but I was right. And uh, when he says, you're always sure, but you're not always right, <laughs> which is true. And anyway, so he's looking at the international rules of tennis page. He's reading it. And, and after, after a few minutes, he kind of finally, okay, you know, you're, you're right. I, I have to say that you're right. I'm wrong. He said, but it's weird because... Even when I was reading this, I'm saying this is wrong. <laughs> I'm on the official international rules of tennis page, and I'm saying inside me, there's a voice saying this is wrong. How often do we listen to that voice? Where else does that voice speak? What we're asking God for is light, revelation, truth. To shine and everything else to fade. God, I don't want any lie to feel like the truth. I don't want anything that is passing away to feel solid. I don't want anything temporal to feel per- eternal. I want to see what you see. I want to know what you know. This is this is the what God is bringing us into. And believe it or not, the litmus test that we are going into this is freedom. Your freedom is predicated upon that process. That you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And it's not just free, not in prison, but free. Free in your personality. Free to voice, uh, to lift your voice. Free to innovate. Free to attempt. Free to venture. Free to, to do what God has called you to do in who you are. That's what the gospel of Christ comes to do to set us free. Chris, why don't you come and Chris has a little testimony. And- the word of God says wisdom calls out to everybody, but the foolish, what? They run away and don't listen. All right. This is in Proverbs and Proverbs says, says words carry the power of life and death. And as a man thinks, so he is. So again, this morning, you know, uh, really what we're talking about is what are we speaking over ourselves? What's the common thing? And in fact, uh, when we come into agreement with the enemy, these things begin to take root. And uh, Mark was just kind of talking to me because we were chatting a little bit about the schools last week. And uh, one of the things that we do in the schools, because, you know, again, we're in public schools to everything, is we spend an entire chapter talking about words that people have spoken over one another. And so we ask the students, you know, what are some words that... uh, Adults have spoken over you. What are some words that, uh, you know, your peers have spoken over you? And what are words you've spoken over yourself? And it's insane because when you hear the words that adults have spoken over these kids for years, you know, and then you hear the words they speak over themselves, well, they 100% match up, right? So, again, Hitler said, you tell a lie loud enough, long enough, eventually that lie becomes truth, Right? And so, again, there is a point where the enemy is going to constantly be speaking things to each and every one of us in this room. 
That's his job. That's his goal, right? And what he's hoping we're all going to do is we're going to come into agreement with that lie. And there is that point where we do. All of a sudden, sudden we entertain that thought. And when we entertain that thought, that root takes place. And he's in there, right? And this is his job. He is so relentless in doing this. Let me tell you, when I'm in the schools, Lauren's done this and Tareen and everybody else, you know, when we go in there, this chapter probably has the most effect on kids, right? Because this is something we all do, every single one of us, right? I can guarantee you some of you already did this today. You know, when you got up in the morning and you went and looked in the mirror and you found the things you didn't like about yourself and we speak death over ourselves immediately before we start our day. And so God is wanting us to actually understand this concept of let's stop aligning with the enemy. Right? And let's start aligning with him. And it starts when you wake up and get out of bed. And it does start with the small comments. Because it's just the small one that leads to the bigger one and the bigger one and the bigger one. And then all of a sudden these things take root in your heart and they become truth. But is it truth? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I know for a fact that Jesus wants us free. Right? He wants us free. And so I actually, uh, I was sharing something with Cam the other day. I got a couple minutes here. Okay. Uh, I watched something on TV. And I was thinking about this. And it's on leopards. And I don't know much about leopards, but I learned something about leopards. And one of the things I learned is that uh, uh, when a leopard owns a territory, it's about a five-mile radius. And when a new leopard wants to take it over, it slowly comes into that territory. And it knows there's another leopard in charge of that territory because it has laid its scent all over the place. And there is a point when that leopard that has come into that territory makes a decision that I actually want this territory. And when they decide that, they actually start to lay their scent wherever that leopard has laid their scent, which is actually a declaration of war. And then eventually, they meet up, the fight is on, and that new leopard will either take over or the other one will maintain. And when I watched that, I felt like the Lord said, we have actually allowed the enemy to roam in our territory way too much. And it's actually time to wage war against the enemy and to actually remove him out. He's got to leave. And this starts, first of all, by us acknowledging that he's there and that we've actually let him in. And so I just want us to stand for a minute, and I just want to pray over our minds, over our hearts, over our heads, because this is one of the sneakiest way that he gets in there. We know the word says that he prowls around. He sneaks around like a lion, looking for a way in all the time. And the number one way he does this is through our minds, right? He tries to shift your way of thinking. And that's why the Bible talks so much about this. Transform your mind and your way of thinking, right? You know, renew your mind, right? Take your thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ because he knows this is where the enemy is going to try to come in and take root, And so, Father God, right now, I just want you, if you're comfortable with this, put your hands on your head. And, Father God, right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray that you would transform our minds and our way of thinking. Father, where we have actually come in agreement with the enemy, we ask for forgiveness for that, Lord. 
And Father, right now, we just break the power of those words in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, where we have said, yes, I'm going to be depressed all my life, where we've said, I'll never have friends, or I hate my life, I hate what I look like, I hate who I am, I'm never going to have a financial breakthrough. God, wherever we have declared words of death, right now in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray that you would break those oaths. And Father, right now we say that is not true, and we choose to walk with you, Father, and we know you are a good and a faithful God. And so, God, right now, transform our mind and our way of thinking in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody say amen. One of the, one of the things that I was uh, touched by was the testimony of when you go through this thing, the effect on the students. And you were telling us just the other day that even the teachers are like, what have you done? Just mention that this is a foreign thing, right? Like people have just learned to live with this in their, our culture. This is your neighbors. This is your fellow students, right? So again, you know, I remember Gavin's been in there too when we used to be in Woodhaven. I remember teaching uh, this specific chapter. And by the time we are done, we have teachers and students all crying. And the teacher's going, what just happened? Like what happened here? And they don't understand it, Right. Because most people have just accepted this. And in fact, even this last week, I've had a number of teachers come and talk to me. We had an incident at one of the schools. And they're saying, we don't know what to do. Can you help us? And so when the schools and the teachers are starting to come to the church for help, this is a good thing. Right? This is a huge thing. But we need to realize this is everywhere, and it's on every single person. Right? But they're not meant to live that way. And so it can end, but it starts with us. Right? We have to break this over ourselves first, and then we can begin to go and minister to them too, right? Amen. So, you know, if he can go into the schools and introduce some of these things to completely unsafe people, just around generic truth, and it has that kind of a profound effect, how much will the higher layers of truth accomplish the same end but more and that's what we're talking about because even even now i know that there are there are people here that have been christians how many have been christians more than 20 years put up your hand uh, look at look at that how many of you have been christians more than 25 years how many of you have been christians more than 30 years 35 years 40 years okay so that's a lot of years. <laughs> there, there's so much history in the church here that one of the prevailing notions that, and why some people sort of roll over and accept their dysfunction or their lack of walking in the promise is this, this lie right here. I've tried everything. I've tried everything. And you, you hear the scriptures talk about promise. Yeah, I did that. No, you didn't. No, you didn't do that. If you had done that, you would be free. Let God be true and every man a liar. That, that statute is, is one of those pillars of truth that you can rest your life on. If what if your experience is not 
equal to the word of God, choose today which is wrong. And I choose to always say, there's something in my experience that's incomplete because God is not a man that he should lie. That's what faith says. And faith says, listen, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, abdicate my responsibility in this. Because to abdicate my responsibility in walking with a perfect God who's complete is to say, well, you must have missed this one, God. And I know we would never say that. But somewhere, well, I did everything the way I was supposed to. No, you did not. Let me, let, me, let me say it again, okay? And this is what preaching is meant to do, is preaching is meant to erode lies and establish truth. And the truth is, God is right all the time. And if he says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, and you're not free, ergo, there is a lie there somewhere. Who? I, I, I feel the kickback. I feel like I'm hitting that stronghold. It's like, it's like my friend reading the rules and believing they're wrong. No, I, I, I have tried everything because you know everything. Right? We don't know everything. We are the incomplete ones. We are the ones that see through the glass darkly. We are the ones with the blind spots. We are the ones that are in bondage. We are the ones that need deliverance. We are the ones that need healing. We are the ones that are going from darkness to light. From glory to glory to glory to glory. How dare we at any spot say, this is as far as you can go. I mean, you never say that, but you know, that's like saying, I am the best that there can be. All of you that would say that, come and sit in this section. <laughs> there, this is the nature of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is not, I ate already. It's, it, is, it is a regenerating, continuous cycle. I want more. I want more. But sometime, somewhere in our life, we become convinced that, yeah, I've pretty much plateaued out. And from now on, from now till the end of my life, we're just, you know, it's, we're just going to hold on. It's like what companies do when they have a certain amount of market share and they don't think they could ever get any more. So they just ride it out into oblivion. I don't want that to define my Christian life. So, Father... Give us a sense of hope and faith today that we can be freer than what we are now, that, that we have not done all that's necessary, that we have not tried everything, that even the things that we think we've tried, we haven't really tried. If they, they're in the Word of God, they didn't work. Well, I, I prayed that prayer. I, I did that. I said that. I went to church. I took that course. I read that scripture. I confessed that. I did it all right. Assume, I know this, this is really hard on people who are insecure. Assume you're wrong. Because it's not you versus me. Who's the rightest? It's you versus God. That's the equation I put myself in. It's, I always say, either I'm right or God's right. I make myself lose that argument all the time. 
Are you winning or are you losing that argument? I'm in a karate class, and we've got a guy there that does exactly this. Bright kid, great student, athletic, good technique, whatever, but he's at a plateau because as soon as you say to him, you're not engaging your hip in that move. Yes, I am. Okay, you know, enjoy your orange belt. And until he breaks that, I know he can't go anywhere. And it doesn't matter that he's probably one of the most talented people in the room. It doesn't matter that the potential on him is to be maybe even a national level karate practitioner. That mindset right there, I know, stops him dead in his tracks. And there's people above him that can see it and go, I just wish I could give this to you. I wish I could give you that opening because then you could move. And that's a great illustration because when it comes to that, you know, there's, there's elements to the technique that you're doing the motion in general, but you're not doing it like the black belt. You're not doing it like the other guy. Well, I can't see the difference between what he's doing and I'm doing. There's the problem. That you cannot see the difference between what he's doing and what you're doing. See, in the kingdom of God, that's, that's the pathway. Until you see the difference... There's no humility. There's no hunger. There's, no, there's nothing to be gained. And, that, and that's the issue that we run into again and again. And, I, man, I'm tempted to go so many different directions here, but I'm going to try and stay in tune. But what I want to talk about today is I want to say some things that undermine self-confidence. Well, my psychologist told me, told me self-confidence is good. No, self-confidence is bad. Because the alternative is God-confidence. My confidence is in God. My confidence is in me. Self-worth. My, my worth is in me or my worth is derived in God. The love of God is the only thing that will enable you to love yourself. You telling yourself, I'm great, I'm great, I'm great. is not going to help. So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that these things would become clear as we enter the Word here. I'm going to read some scriptures. I'm going to talk about a thing. And so some things became clear to me, really, really clear to me. I've written about some of these things. I've talked about some of them. But on Friday morning while we were in prayer, we began to, to move into a progression of truth, and the room became illuminated with a clarity around some things that are generally obscure at other times. And I want to try to navigate into some of that light. And so um, the place where I started was commenting on a post I made last week on my Facebook, and I wrote this thing. And uh, it was interesting because uh, I had a couple of people ask me, you know, were you writing about me? <laughs> so, you know, if you're ever wondering, looking at my posts and you're wondering, is that about you? Uh, it might be. <laughs> 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 uh, 
But if it's about you, then it's about me. If it's about me, it's about all of us. It is about a journey we are on together and and discovering certain truths and keys for the kingdom of God. But so uh, I, you know, I've been on this track, even walking with global leaders for 20 years, and I'm still learning certain things that I thought I knew. And uh, again, you know, way back, I remember when David Damien used to talk about, we're looking for people who have a heart for the nation. I right away I thought, oh, well, that's me. I have a heart for the nation. I love Nova Scotia. I love people from Nova Scotia. They're all right. <laughs> you know, and it, was, it took years later, and I would echo those things as though I, I believed the same as David. Because I couldn't see the difference the way he was saying it and the way I was saying it because it's the same words. I have a heart for the nation. And what later the Lord said, no, Mark, you don't have a heart for the nation. You have a heart for your position in the nation. Which is very different. Anyway, I won't even go into <laughs> how humiliating that was, but... This is what I wrote. Leadership in the kingdom of God is a tricky thing. Holding everything loosely, we lead as stewards. Since we are serving the king, we cannot act as owners. Part of that responsibility means protecting what you are leading or stewarding from those who want to own it. Unfortunately, those who would own it do not understand stewardship, and they will accuse you of that very thing. They will accuse your administration and stewardship as ownership because they cannot see the difference. And what I've realized as I've watched others, as over the years I've tried to enter my destiny, and my aspect of my destiny is is dominion-oriented, as yours is. It is about ruling and reigning. It is about about authority. It is about being co-heirs with Christ. So these things are all what you're called to. So if you long to rule and reign with Christ, good on you. There's nothing wrong with that. You should want that. The question is, how do you get it? How does the reality of that kingdom functioning authority flow through your life? By God transforming your heart. By him changing the underbelly of what you believe about that thing that you're after. And so um, I remember uh, years ago, so this statement I put out the other day because I've realized over the last few years that what God is trying to teach me is that he is king over everything. Now, we've talked about this before, and there's a scripture that says, You know, Jesus himself, he came, he humbled himself, became as a servant, right? And what did he do? He didn't do anything except he saw the Father do it. In other words, he left, he put aside the option to be self-initiated of just doing what he wanted and what he thought. So there's a time when he was talking about, you know, his role in the nation and his brothers mocking him, not believing him, said to him, well, you know, the feast is happening in Jerusalem. You know, why don't you go up? If you're meant to be this person, right, you know, go and make yourself known. And uh, what does Jesus say? He says, he says, you go up, your time 
And this is what it said in the King James. I can't remember some verses I only know in the King James. But he said, he said your time is always ready. In other words, it's a convenient time for you to do what you feel because that's all you do. You do what you feel. You do what you think. I am not so geared. I cannot. I am restrained. I am under a limitation that I can only do what I see the Father doing. Now, as it happened, if you look at the chronology of that, Jesus actually went up. So evidently, between you know, that one point in time and the other point in time, God said, yeah, no, actually, I'm in that. It's like, ugh. I wonder if that bothered Jesus. Like, the, I wonder if it, now he, he went up, and it says he went up in secret, you know. And this is just a funny thought. But, oh, no, if I go now, my brothers will think I did it because they said. Now, do I disobey God in order to keep my, my brothers thinking along a certain line? Or do I just obey God and forget about what my brothers think? There's a little test. Well, he just he went up. So, what I've discovered as I've been praying and working and planning and trying to God, you know, you have, you've called me to have this ministry in the nations. You've called me to have this role, you know, walking with with uh, your generals and all the rest of that. So like, you know, give me a hand here. Help me. Introduce me to some people. You know, come on, make this happen. <laughs> and it was, it's been very slow. Really, really slow. And, and the reason is, is right here. Right in here. Because I did not understand stewardship except only in part. That I, I, in my younger years, I was like looking at the church and I'm thinking, when's my turn? You know, you got Reinhard Bonnke out there and waving his hand and blowing on people and thousands of people being slain in the spirit. And you got Benny Hinn and all this stuff and, you know, miracles, signs and wonders and healings. And like, when's my time, God? And you know what God was thinking? Yeah, when you, when you won't own it. When you won't think this is yours to do with what you want. When you won't use whatever comes, whatever, you know, uh, visibility or fame or, or finances that come with being known like that. I can't trust you with that. You don't know how to be a stir with that. You Right now, there's this, still this self-fulfillment aspect to your destiny. And that's not what your destiny is for. Your destiny is to fulfill my desire. And then in a roundabout way, strangely enough, you will feel fulfilled. But the juxtaposition of you versus me will be very different. Okay, I think I know what you're getting at. No, you don't. Well, what's it going to take? Or how long is it going to take? And so there's a more death and more death and more death. Well, what is the death? The death is God... Showing me that my efforts, my impatience, my, my being offended at people who don't, you know, give me a leg up and all the rest of that. Showing them that that kind of offense, that kind of irritation, that kind of impatience, all of those attributes, they belong to a part of you, Mark, that I am diminishing, not the part of you that I'm increasing. And this, this is what I'm, I'm talking about today, is that, is that the work of the Holy Spirit, and I said earlier, I said Exodus 16, it's actually Numbers 16. 
uh, Jackie, you were reading from Numbers 16, was it? Yeah. It's Numbers 16. Well, in Numbers 16, you have the rebellion of Korah, right? And then you have the people, when they see God judge Korah and his family, because basically what happens is Moses said, okay, you stand there, I'll stand here, and we'll let God choose between us. And, of course, the, I think the earth opens up and swallows Korah and all this, you know, and you think the nation would go, wow, uh, God was obviously on Moses' side. But you know what the people do? Moses killed the people of God. Now I want you to think about that. How can they think that? How can they think that? How could they not take a step back and say, wow, I think God might be on Moses' side. No, here's what they believe. The administration of the miracles is something Moses is doing in the name of God, but he's doing it for selfish purpose. Otherwise, they would have said, oh, fear of the Lord. But they, look what Moses did. He killed the people of the Lord. Why? Because They were ascribing to Moses their own mindset. They do what they want. And everything they do, every gift they have, every talent they have, everything they own is leveraged to increase their personal will upon the world around them. So they didn't understand somebody who's not acting in their own interest. Let me say this again. The reason why the people sided with Korah after God very clearly said, no, I am not with Korah, is because they don't know anything other than self-interest. I, 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 I have to say this, I think, four or five more times, because I don't think this is really getting through to us. Our tendency is to believe that others are acting in the same manner we are acting because like the karate guy, that's all I knew. I am doing that. No, you're not. There's a difference between what this guy's doing and what you're doing. I can't see the difference. That's the problem. The, The people could not see the difference between what Moses is doing and what they were doing. So they thought this what this killing Korah is just an expression of Moses' selfish ambition. And look where his selfish ambition has gotten us now. Now he's killed one of our generals. Kill him. And so a plague breaks out in the people because God's like, God's God's up there going, Why are you serious? Are you serious? You still don't know that this is me and not Moses? You still think Moses is like you? Kill him. So, and God is saying, listen. And, and Jackie said, listen, it wasn't God that said, okay, send a plague. Yes and no. Yes and no. Here's the way it is. There's a spirit of death hanging over all creation, looking for any moment to... <clears throat> it's just there all the time. The only thing that holds it back is the favor and grace and mercy of God. Otherwise, we are all toast. We are all completely toast. So when the enemy seemingly seems to advance, it's only because God has resisted the proud. How does God resist the proud? The proud proud think, oh, I'm doing this all myself, and God says, okay, I'll let you do that for a little while. And... 
So this plague comes on the people. Because God is trying to say to them, listen, Moses is not like you. Moses is my servant. There's nobody humble like Moses in the whole face of the earth. Now, why is this important for us? Because because what I have been increasingly realizing, and it's not like I've been totally ignorant, because, hey, I have a wife. Do you know what I mean by that? You know, sometimes your wives, they, our wives, they, they, they see things. But because she didn't expressly express it in a way that made sense to me, I didn't fully receive it. <laughs> you know, I, there, there are just certain things. I mean, God is doing the same thing. You know, husbands do the same thing for wives as wives are meant to do for husbands. You know, we, we are meant to be light to one another. But, but there, is, there is this part of our journey as we're administrating the call of God in our lives where we think we're doing it right. And yet, you know, on another level, it's clear to us and, you know, it was clear to me that, well, I, don't, I, don't, I know I'm doing it wrong. I came to this realization, but I don't know how else to do it. And then suddenly there's this tension in your life where well what's involved what, what's happening in attention what do you what happens when you're put in traction in the hospital it's a period of healing you're put in traction in order to suspend certain forces so that restoration can come so the tensions in our lives that we'd like to get rid of are actually for our healing do they keep something from happening that shouldn't happen at this time so we, our lives exist in a kind of attention, and, some, uh, and that's, that's, that's what was happening for my life, and it's still happening to some degree. But the, the heart of this is, I want to be a steward. I want to step into realms of authority, but I don't want to own it. Now, in the Corinthian church, let's turn to 1 Corinthians. The Corinthian church is known to be, on one level, an amazing church. Paul says to them, says, you guys are amazing. Not in so many words, but... <laughs> he says, you, here's what he said. He said, you are behind no other church in these areas. And they were, they were pretty cool areas, you know, healing, signs and wonders, gifting, you know, Holy Spirit stuff. He said, uh, he said you got some good things going for you, but... There's a problem. There's amazing division in your midst. So this is what he says about that division. Let me try and read the scripture. He exhorts them. So this is what he says in verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be, and get these words. Here's what I want you to be. Paul is saying, perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Let me repeat that. I want you to be perfectly joined together of the same mind and the same judgment. I was just talking to somebody yesterday. I won't name who they are. But I said, you know, in their family history, they've had some disagreement over Santa Claus. 
and the role of Santa Claus in their family. And so imagine that. Maybe you had other kinds of challenges between you and your, your, your husband or your wife. You know, you, didn't, you, didn't, you weren't of the same mind. You weren't seeing things clearly the same, right? Any, does that happen in any marriage ever? I think so, yeah. So Paul says to you, like he says to the church, I want you, Cam and Teresa, be perfectly of the same mind. Reminds me of a joke. <laughs> a few years ago, Wendy and I were living in Surrey, and, uh, and there was a couple, they were backslidden, but they had go, go, become born again and gone to church, and we were sitting out there in our backyard, and we were having, uh, let's say the name of the, her, her name is Doris, and his name is John. And she, so, uh, so anyway, he said, yeah, we used to go to church. He said, but uh, John read in the Bible um, that, uh, oh, that we should, do you remember what he said? What was the word? That we should be in, oh, that the two became one. So he decided we should be him. I mean, this is what we sincerely come to when there's a disagreement. I believe I'm right. You believe you're right. The wife believes she's right. The husband believes he's right. You got a real quandary. And then you got the apostle Paul saying, be perfectly of the same mind. Uh, which one? Right? This is, the, this is always the age-old question. Uh, how do we do that? Like, uh, it's easy for you to say, Paul. Right? He said, <laughs> I mean, consider this. I mean, we can't even do that in a marriage. How are we going to do that in a church? Two of us can't do that, and you want, what, 200 of us to do it? No, I mean globally. Okay. <laughs> now, it's funny, but in... When it talks about the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, in Ephesians 4.12, it says this. It says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the unity of the knowledge of God. Perfect agreement. Perfect agreement. So in the short term... Who is right? That's what we're trying to decide. Who is right? Well, for, for starters, when it, you're looking at Israel, there's a massive gap between the people and Moses. But, you know, then you had other people around Moses, like Moses' sister, right? Do you think they would have been fairly familiar with one another? Oh, yeah. I remember changing your diaper, Moses. Don't you talk to me in that tone. Right? So you got, uh, you got a uh, high priest who is uh, Aaron, who is Moses' brother, right? A lot of family going on here. So there's a little bit of familiarity. And so Miriam decides at some point that Moses is wrong. And she states as much and steps out as much. What, is, what happens to her? She gets leprosy, right? And Moses intercedes for her and et cetera, et cetera. So maybe the people wouldn't say, Moses, you know, they maybe wouldn't go in the face of Moses individually. They might go as a, as a group, right? You know, a lot of courage in a group. But, you know, 
some of the leaders like Korah and, and, uh, and Miriam and others go to Moses and say, but what they don't realize is that the reason God put Moses in that, in that place, there's two, two things about this, is Moses has proven to be more faithful than anybody else. Not only that, he's been the most humble man on the face of the earth. But what if he is wrong? What if Moses is wrong, but he's sure he's right? Well, let me put another scenario to you. Have you ever been in a situation where your kids thought they were right and you were wrong? Not very, not very many people nodded. Anybody ever think that as a child that you knew more than your parents? Any, any parent ever had their child think that they were wrong? Right? So the alternative, if, if the, the adult, the parent is wrong, but they think this is the right thing, whose will should be done? The parents. Why? Because they're right? No, because they're in charge. Not because they're right, but because they're in charge. My brother's very fond of talking about this, but uh, in the military, he said, you know, I don't have the prerogative to tell my major off or the colonel or whoever, even if they're wrong. It doesn't matter if they're wrong. I need to just do what I'm told because ultimately the buck stops with them. And if they are wrong, they will bear the responsibility to their overseers about being wrong in that case. On the other hand, if I disobey them, I bear the responsibility of disobedience. It doesn't matter who's right and who's wrong. Yeah, but don't we want to know what's right? Yes, yes we do. So you have this scenario, Paul says, be perfectly of the same mind. He says, be perfectly of the same mind. Speak the same things. So that there be no divisions among you. Be of the same judgment and the same mind. Well, that's a, that's a huge thing. But then he goes on and he begins to talk about, about the divisions. He said, listen, I hear that there are divisions. And Chloe's household told me. Do you think, I wonder if everybody was happy with Chloe's household after that. You told him? He says, now I say to you, each one of you says, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Christ crucified? Or were you baptized in the name of, of Paul? In other words, he's saying, listen, you guys are lining up behind personalities. Okay. And usually the personalities you line up are the ones who think most like you. You're like, ah, oh, that guy has a strange kind of amazing wisdom. Sounds like me. Right? That's how we end up. We, we, it sounds like wisdom. That's why when I was talking about earlier about familiar spirits, familiar spirits gain access to your life by you letting them in because they sound like you. They appeal to the thing that you love. And so you actually enter into a kind of covenant with them. But here, he's saying, listen, there's divisions in the, in, in the midst of your, who you are, and, uh, and, and this is not good. Let me try and skip ahead for time's sake. This passage that he leads to, he starts to talk about, about uh, div- the divisions. He says, listen, you need to be of the same mind. He starts to talk about the divisions. Then he comes to these amazing things. Look what he says here. He says in verse 13, actually I'll go back, I'll read in verse 12. And he's talking about 
Paul is referring to, when he says we, he's talking about himself. And who do you think is with him? You got Luke with him. You got maybe Barnabas, his apostolic team that's with him. So when he says we, he's talking about us and, you know, the the council of Christ, those that I'm walking with, you know, your spiritual fathers in your life. Uh, But there's another group of people in the church who are leaders as well, but they all disagree with each other. So this is this is what he's bringing resolution to. He says, for no man, verse 11, for no man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man within him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit is from God. Now, we, when he says we, who's he talking about? Well, he's talking about everybody, right? No, he isn't. He's talking about himself. And his team. He starts talking about them later. He says, but I, I can't even talk to you like this because you are da 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 We are da 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 That's kind of an arrogant distinction. Who do you think you are, Paul? He said, not the same. We are not the same. We are not the same. We have the same willpower. We have the same choices to make. But we are not the same. And so much of division comes out of the fact that, well, and this is what Miriam said, I also have the Spirit of God. God also talks to us. Right? We're the prophets. Miriam is a prophetess. So she comes and comes on the face of, of Moses and say, God also talks to us. So she gets leprosy and God said, yeah, but when I talk to Moses, I talk to him differently. I've made a distinction here. I've called Moses to do this. And here's the criteria. Why why was Moses allowed to do this? Because there was humility in his life. When I look at leaders that that inspire me, that I come under, I I tried many times to think, oh, I'm just like them. I'm just, you know, a couple years younger. And God said, no, you're not. You're not like them. And and it, it was painstaking the way for years he said, listen, this is the way you are. This is the way he is. And that happened on so many levels, one of which was time. He said, Mark, you want to you you walk in this room that that guy's walking in? Have you seen his life? And when I began to see his life, how much time was given away from family, away from children, away from Xbox. He said, actually, I, I don't think I do want that. Not right now, anyway. I'm not willing to give that. So... It may be a small thing to you, but it was a little bit of a, maybe I'm walking in some pride and presumption about my eagerness to do what God wants. Maybe we are not the same. That was a big thing. So we have received the Spirit of God. And then in verse 13, he says, These things we speak... Uh, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Let me, let me tell you the scenario that Paul is saying. He's, he's talking to people who are pretty good at karate. And they do the motions, and they're athletic. And he says, well, you need to engage your hip. I did. That is what I'm doing. No, it isn't. 
Ask, talk to Di. Di's in singing lessons all the time. How many times, you know, she has a person say, yeah, you need to do this. I am. Uh, no, you're not. <laughs> I don't know how to fix this gap. <laughs> it's a gap of perception. It's a gap of truth. And in that gap is the devil's playground. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to them, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. If there's one thing God has been teaching me the last 15 years is this. He said, Mark, do not ascribe your motives, your thoughts, your weaknesses to the people that I've called you to walk with who are ahead of you in the kingdom. Believe them to be better than you. That's really hard because we are like that young athlete. But I'm doing it the best as I can. This is as best as I can replicate it. And as far as I can see, I'm doing it exactly like, like him. So what, what is that tension where you have to believe the black belt who says something that you can't see? You have to believe this is real. I see this thing. You are not doing it the way he's doing it. But I, I, I have to believe you, but I don't. That's the reality. Every church, every relationship, every struggle for unity of the truth. And I'm going to get to it in a minute. Well, how do we know who, is it just the leader who's right? No, no, no. Because real leaders are, wa- are walking in stewardship. That means they have the responsibility to make that decision. And at the end of the day, they're going to decide for what they think's right and they should. Whether it's parents or teachers or police officers or pastors or elders or whatever it is. You rule the realm of your authority in as much as you know. But if you've ever been through this, you realize you leave room. You leave room that I might not see everything. And so you're always looking. And this is one thing I realized. When I saw leaders when I was young, I thought, I thought, man, I just can't wait till it's my turn to call all the shots. And then when I started calling all the shots, I realized I wasn't really calling all the shots. I'm looking all the time on how to call the shots. But I wasn't of that mind. I knew all the things to do before. And it was, isn't that I don't know a lot of things, but I'm looking. God, what are you saying about this? What do you say about it? Lord, speak to us. As a leadership team, our posture, God, speak to us. You know, how do we do this? How do we navigate this? How, do, how does this come through? What is your wisdom? Are the prophets speaking? Is there a dream? Is there a, a prophetic word? Is there a call? You know, just last week we were praying and I, I, I broke through something. We were, uh, I felt the breakthrough and I thought right away, I'm going to get a call from, from a number of prophets who are going to say something about this. And sure enough, within 24 hours, I got, I got two. Two. Why? Because we're not walking in the counsel of our own desire. We're not just doing what we think we ought to do. We're not just, you know, I feel like preaching on this, I'm preaching on this. We're seeking the mind of God. And there's a carefulness once you've been humbled, once you've done it wrong and wrong, or once you think you're doing it right and get the wrong results, and think you're doing it right and get them, you start to question yourself. And you say, God, how do I do this? And when we start to get into that mindset, that God starts to give us authority. Why? Because then we can be stewards. Does that make sense? But what happens, 
just like here in the Corinthian church, he said the spiritual are rightly judged by no one. Why? Because the unspiritual always judge by themselves. They always ascribe to you what God is dealing with in them. Can you hear that? This is what Paul, I didn't write that. I know that that hurt somebody here. Was that you, Paul? No, just kidding. You need to read this. Are Are we looking at it? Good, good. We need to read it again. But the spiritual man does not receive the things of the spirit, uh, does not receive, sorry, but the natural man does not receive the things of the, uh, of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. That's quite a mouthful to put out there, Paul. It's kind of, you know, are you defending yourself or another? So no, this is the reality. I've, I've walked it. I've done it to others, and I've had it done to me. This is what he's saying. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, he says, we have the mind of Christ. Who is that? Paul. Well, what about us? We got the Spirit of God, too. We prophesy. We got gifts. You said just as much yourself. But he says, I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people. But as to carnal, as to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk (laughs) and not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you're not able. You don't realize I am am spoon-feeding you guys. And you guys are, are ready to, for you are still carnal. Now listen to this. For where there are envy, strife, divisions among you. Are you not carnal, behaving like mere men? Why is this important? Because God has a destiny for us to walk in. A destiny. And he's saying, be of the same mind. The question is, how do we get to that mind? How do we, how do we discern because you get two different opinions, like in a marriage. You get somebody who says, well, I think this. I think this. How do you, make, how do you, how do you decide what to do if, a decision, if you can't just keep putting off the decision because there's not agreement? What do you do? Well, who's in charge? In the absence of a decision, of a collective decision, you go with the wisdom of the person in charge. But that's not the best answer. The best answer is coming to unity of knowledge. But if you're not there and a decision has to be made, then the parents decide for the kids. Because the opposite is more an expression of the kingdom of darkness than the leader being wrong. Oh? But ultimately, we want to come to a place where we have the same mind. So, how do we get there? If you're in that position, I'm in this position. I think I'm right, and you think you're right. How do we navigate to the place where we have agreement? And I've preached on this at least 30 times. I'll give you what I call essential essence. What you do is you start to evaluate your wisdom from an objective standpoint. In other words, you think you're right. In other words, you're saying, I 
have the word of God. I have God's thoughts. I'm right, and I'm going to plant my feet in the ground, and I'm going to resist any alternative but this one. Okay? That's your stand for righteousness. That's how we learn to stand for God, right? But what does it say about the wisdom that's from above? What we want to know is the posture that I have, what's it coming out of? Where is it coming from? How do I know whether it's from above or from below? How do I know whether it's God or Satan? Well, by how strong you're standing for it, then it must be God. Yeah, because Satan never stood for anything. Listen, this is what he says. The wisdom, this wisdom, he's talking about, he says, listen, there's divisions. There's stuff going on. You're cursing, things coming out of your heart, some blessing, some cursing. They sought not to be so. There's strife, there's confusion, there's fighting, there's wars in your midst, there's conflict. Here's where it's coming from. It's coming from your belief that you're right. One says, I have the wisdom of God. The other one says, I have the wisdom of God. So he says, here's, here's how you know the wisdom of God. This, here's how you know. This wisdom here that lies and denies the truth, it does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing is there. So we read that and we think, okay, I don't want evil, confusion, and all that in my life. But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy, full of good fruits, has no partiality, has no hypocrisy. What does that mean? Willing to yield. Well, it's God's way and I'm fighting for God's way. No, no, no. Willing to yield. Yeah, but that's, that's wrong. I, I know he's the boss, but he's wrong. I'm making the stand for righteousness. Willing to yield. There's something in your wisdom that's not willing to yield. It means something in your wisdom is from below. It's from below. I think, well, why would God yield... If he's right, did God ever do that? How about when Saul was anointed king? Right? Samuel was all upset, and he's like, this is wrong. I I don't want to do this. And God says, do it. No, this is wrong. He said, listen, this is not about you. Why was God willing to anoint Saul? The wisdom that's from above is patient, long-suffering, willing to yield, Because God knows I'm going to get my way anyway. But if this is who the people want, I need to show them that it's not who the people want. So Samuel, we're going to give them what the people want so that the consequences of what the people want will come on them and they eventually will come to the place they'll say, oh, you were right. That's how God teaches us. A lot of what we were talking about at the beginning of the service the consequences of being misaligned are upon our lives. Evident in the dysfunction, the strife, the confusion, the, the lack of victory, lack of freedom. And God is saying, align with truth. Align with truth. 
And, and the truth of God, the knowledge of God, the wisdom of God, it feels like this. It's gentle, it's merciful, it's peaceable. It's even willing to yield. Now, leaders will, should not abdicate their position of leadership. Hello? Right? If it's in your power to make a decision for godliness, you have the responsibility to make it the right way for your kids or whatever it is. But there also comes times when you're leading a group of people, when you realize that even though God wants to bring us into this, the people aren't ready, so I can't, we can't do that. And so we're going to wait. That's a whole other dimension. But God wants to do something here. And I've been reminded of it again and again and again here recently. The words of the prophet Bob Jones. And, and it keeps coming up. We keep coming close to a breakthrough. And the only thing that stops it is the same thing that stopped the Corinthian church here. It was the same thing that stopped Miriam. The same thing that stopped Korah. It's like God uses me, so therefore we are the same, me and Moses. Be careful. Don't push your agenda. Don't, because a lot of amazing people. Father, I pray that you would give us grace to make this turn. Father, that uh, the humility, the ability to live and walk as stewards, Lord, to not put upon the other generations and those older us our ambitions, to not spend our time, God, when's my turn? And, and, and when am I going to get the chance to call the shots? And why is it always him? And, and God, that, Lord, we'll, we'll lay our, our lives down for what you want. Father, I pray, not only here in Spruce Grove, but in Egypt this week, God, that, that as we touch global issues, global issues of amazing consequence, that, Lord, that your mind will prevail. As all these amazing leaders come together, each with their own thoughts, their own perspective, their own experience, their own, their own agendas, their own priorities. God, I say, may we give us the grace to put it all down and hear what you say. In Jesus' name, amen.